So let's read Jonah chapter 4 from verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. My, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? This is God's word. I wonder, uh, have you ever spouted your opinion in public, uh, giving off like you're the world's highest authority on this or that, uh, only to discover that you are in the company of people who know a great deal more about the subject than you? Uh, Wives, if you can't think of a time when you did this, you might have more luck remembering a time when your husband did it. Uh, I mean, even then, it would be easier to imagine, wouldn't it? Or have you uh, ever seen a young child deep in a heated discussion with the parents, finger-wagging, foot-stomping, furious that mom and dad could be so wrong? Goodness me, uh, this could make for an entertaining Zoom coffee time after the service, couldn't it? Let's share some stories. Let's, uh, let's have a little confession time. Uh, the fourth and final chapter of this short book sees Jonah finger-wagging, foot-stomping, furious at God. And it sees God ever so patiently and gently trying to teach Jonah that Jonah is the one who's wrong, he is the one who's being unreasonable, and he is the one who needs to change his attitude. Of course, the only way that we know this part of Jonah's story is because Jonah later told it. Uh, There are no other witnesses here. Jonah could show himself in a much better light if he just finished his story, finished his book at the end of chapter 3. He ran, God caught him, he prayed, he preached, and a whole city was saved. Great story. Uh, Well done for the change of heart, Jonah. But the human heart is often very slow to change, isn't it? And we hope and suppose that Jonah realized this later and came around to God's way of thinking because Jonah does tell this part of the story, even though it paints him in such a bad light. 
Uh, And surely then Jonah tells this part of the story so that if ancient Israel or the modern church uh, finds itself sharing Jonah's attitudes uh, or, or his opinions, we'll quickly see them for what they are and shut our mouths and open our ears to listen to God correcting us. Uh, Here's a chapter that shows us our place in God's world uh, and our privilege of sharing God's love through the message of His mercy. This uh, this chapter in this book are are, are timely for us as a church, aren't they, as we prepare to send a family overseas to share this message. Uh, And look, it's always timely for us to hear of our role in the same work here at home. And if you're not a Christian, uh, but you're listening along, I hope you know that it's our greatest desire for you uh, to, uh, to come to know firsthand the love and mercy of God by believing our message about His Son, uh, Jesus. Uh, today, you, you see us being instructed and warned about our attitudes as we share that message with you. Um, so let's get into Jonah chapter 4, uh, where we see first that God is in charge of salvation. God is in charge of salvation. Now, the Ninevites already knew this. <laughs> the king commanded everyone to cry out to God, saying, chapter 3, verse 9, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And God, who is in charge of salvation did relent. Chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. It's fantastic. Uh, It's it's wonderful. It's it's a brilliant end to the story for the Ninevites. But chapter 4, verse 1, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is that, that is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish, way off in the opposite direction. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is furious that God spared and saved the Ninevites. He knew from the start, that's why God was sending him there, that Jonah would warn them and that they would turn and be saved. This was the exact outcome that Jonah feared the most. Um, I've, I've complained about this before, but, uh, but Dr. Pepper is uh, it's a cherry-flavored cola drink, and they're advertising, it's disgusting, it's horrible stuff. Uh, their advertising tries to tempt Dr. Pepper what's the worst that could happen? Now, uh, you know, meaning why, why not give it a try? Now, strangely enough, in the adverts, something awful always does happen to the, the people who try the drink, which I think is pretty fitting because, as I say, uh, Dr. Pepper is disgusting. But, you know, if you've never tried it, you can give it a go for yourself after all. What's the worst that could happen? Well, for Jonah, the worst that could happen from his preaching tour of Nineveh was that the wicked, violent people of that city Uh, enemies of God and of God's people would be saved. This was the outcome he expected and feared the most. It was the worst that could happen. He couldn't stand to think about it. It's why he got uh, off on a boat and went in the opposite direction. He hated the Ninevites, and he hated the idea that God would save them. Verse 3, just kill me now, he says. I'd rather be dead 
than have to sit here watching you forgive these awful people. Now, in Jonah chapter 2, he was overjoyed that God lifted his life from the pit of death. And now he asks God to take his life away, just to throw him back in. And in chapter 2, Jonah was delighted to receive God's patient, uh, persistent love. And now he hates that God has shown that same love to the people of Nineveh. God is slow to anger, and that has got Jonah fuming with anger. The end of verse 2 is the flagship Old Testament description of God. It comes from God's own mouth. Uh, it's It's the message of hope. Any time that God's people turn from him and, and need to come back. <clears throat> After God spectacularly saved his people from slavery uh, and death in Egypt, in the book of Exodus, uh, they turned away from him and made this golden calf statue and worshipped it for saving them. Now God sh- stopped short of wiping them out. And he appeared to Moses and said about himself, he said, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God had been uh, so good to Israel, but they turned away from him. And so... (laughs) God has had to be so very forgiving to Israel right from the very beginning. God has had to be so very forgiving to Jonah right from the very beginning. But Jonah hates the idea that God would be the same forgiving God to Nineveh. What a horrible attitude, isn't it? Uh, Jonah wags his finger and stomps his feet because God is forgiving. (laughs) When the only reason why Israel and Jonah are still alive is because God is forgiving. Uh, what about us? This book is written for ancient Israel and the modern church. Do we really realize the depth of our own sin and guilt before God? Uh, the, the incredible, infinite, loving kindness of God to forgive us from this unfathomable debt of, of awful sin that we could never comprehend, never mind repay. Great way to find out if we truly know and understand our sin and God's mercy is if there are other people that we would hate to see forgiven by God. Who would we hate to see forgiven by God? Who are the worst people you can think of? You know, those who've committed the the worst crimes, uh, the most hideous sins. Let's not just think hypothetically. What about real people in your life? People who have hurt you. Those unresolved uh, breakdowns in, in, in relationship. What if, the, what if the message of God's love and grace hits home for them and, and they know in their hearts that Jesus died for them and they turn from their past and they trust in him and they start to take those steps of owning what they did and uh, even seeking reconciliation? What then? Who would we hate to see joining our church as fellow believers, 
fellow sinners saved by grace? Who would we hate to see coming in and, and joining our fellowship and our family and, and praying with us in prayer meetings and eating with us at, at bring and share lunches and church picnics and what have you? Who would we just hate to see? Who walks into our church and you walk out? But God is in charge of salvation. The sailors of chapter 1 knew it. They said, you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. The Ninevites said, who knows, God may yet relent. Jonah knew all along that, that God is in charge of salvation, and he hated that. Do we, do we hate the idea that God might choose that person or, or those people? Do we hate the idea that God chooses at all whom he will save? Would we scold God for that like Jonah, at wagging our fingers and stomping our feet? God chooses whom he will save. But like Jonah, we need to understand in the, in the very depths of our hearts that no one, no one deserves to be saved. If there's a person we would hate to see saved, then we need to take another look at our own hearts because we have forgotten something true about ourselves. Um, there but for the grace of God go I. Thank God that he's slow to anger and abounding in love. God is in charge of salvation. Next, God uh, disciplines his stubborn children. Uh, we'll get back to the, the big lesson of this with our final point, but let's not miss this, that God disciplines his stubborn children. Read with me from verse 4. Have you got it open? Uh, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Um, again, look at, look at our own hearts. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Well, the human heart is slow to change, isn't it? Jonah wags his finger and stomps his feet, and running out of things to say to God, he goes out of the city, sits down, and waits. What's he doing here, do you think? I mean, sulking, obviously, but probably a little more than that. I think Jonah is saying, look, I'm done with this. I am going to sit here and wait for you to do what is right, God. I'm going to sit and wait until you see sense, God, and destroy this city and all its wicked people just like they deserve. And when you do, God, then we can pick up our relationship again. Verse 6, then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah uh, to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. God provides this, this climbing plant that shoots up over Jonah and protects him from the scorching sun. Uh, maybe you've been on holiday somewhere hot, uh, you know, and you're walking along this, this tree-lined street or something, and you're, you're kind of walking from tree to tree just through the shade, uh, shady spot to shady spot, because the sun is just so hot. Um, I know, it'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Um, well, look, Jonah's delighted. Uh, probably not only for the shade, but also probably because God seems to be making a first move here. Uh, maybe God is starting to see that Jonah's right after all. Instead of 
instead of non-Israelite people uh, getting Israel's blessing, well, now non-Israelite creation is, is being used to comfort Jonah's, uh, well, Israel's prophet, Jonah's head. Uh, maybe, maybe God is starting to see sense. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So God provides, again, did you notice that in verse 7? Uh, it's a word that means uh, that God appoints. It's the same uh, word at, at the end of chapter 1, uh, where God appointed a fish to save Jonah. He appointed the vine to grow over Jonah. Now he provides and appoints a worm that destroys the vine and then a wind that scorches Jonah even more than before. Not one of those lovely cool breezes. Here's a hot wind, one of those winds that's so hot, the air is so hot you feel like you can hardly breathe. God provides a vine to give shade and then a worm to take it away and then a wind to make things worse. Jonah sinks back into his sulk, realizing that God is showing him who is in charge. And again, Jonah would rather die, hear this, Jonah would rather die than live with a patient, forgiving God who is in charge. The world and the devil, of course, will paint God as uh, judgmental and quick to anger. That's, that, that's the God, the caricature of God in our world. God is judgmental and quick to anger. Uh, here we learn yet again that God is so slow to anger. Uh, it's Jonah who's quick to anger. It's Jonah who wants judgment. Um, if you're in any, in any doubt that it's human beings who are judgmental and quick to anger, just watch someone expressing an opinion over social media. Just out of nowhere, boom, it all kicks off. Uh, strangers become keyboard warriors, typing pure hatred at one another in the comments below the post. Uh, no, God is the one who is slow to anger, always ready to forgive. God is the one who is patient. And here God patiently disciples and disciplines Jonah. Uh, God disciplines his stubborn children. Discipline is not the same as punishment, of course. Um, God is not punishing Jonah. God is patiently working to correct Jonah. Uh, God is teaching Jonah. Most of us know uh, the sting of sunburn. You remember a time you've been sunburned? Uh, goodness, it's awful. Jonah's sunburn stings, but it is a kind gift if it brings Jonah back to God. Again, uh, we can only know about all this if Jonah retells the story afterwards. Jonah retells this embarrassing, shameful part of his own story so that his people, the Israelites, would learn from what happened to him and so that we today will learn from what happened to him. God disciplines his sulky children. God will not have sulky children who refuse to listen to his word. That puts, that puts all of us in a, a difficult position because we are certainly those who hear his word. We hear it. We're hearing it now. Uh, but are we listening? 
God will not have sulky children who refuse to listen to his word. And if that's us, let's not be surprised when he disciplines us and allows the circumstances of our lives to sting us and scorch us until we come back to him. Let's not be surprised. In fact, let's be comforted by that. Comforted that we have a God who's so slow to anger, patient, not punishing, but discipling and disciplining and correcting us. It's actually the only real comfort that we can have in the midst of suffering. That whatever the, whatever the cause, God is at work for the good of his people. And we all have ups and downs in life. But what we know as Christians is that there is sovereign purpose and kindness in the downs as well as the ups. Sometimes that purpose is correction and discipline. If we, if we get stung or scorched in life, let's check whether we're sulking at God and refusing to accept something that he reveals about himself and the way he works in his world. It won't be that all the time, but it may be. Jonah certainly needed to listen and accept God on God's terms. Ancient Israel needed to repent and do the same. And from time to time, we too need to submit our rebellious and sulky attitudes to God and just listen to his patient and loving correction. God is in charge of salvation God uh, disciplines his stubborn children. And then finally, uh, God loves all he has made. This is surely uh, the point of this book, the overall point of the book of Jonah. This is it. Of all the things uh, we, th- we might have thought would send Jonah into a massive tantrum against God, this is the thing that Jonah couldn't cope with. This is what he couldn't accept, that God loves all he has made. Let's see. God's discipling and discipline continue. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, oh my goodness, so patiently, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, Jonah said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God says, Jonah, how do you feel about me destroying that vine I made yesterday? Jonah says, I am livid. I am so angry that I could burst and just die. God says, But Jonah, how much more tragic would it be if I destroyed a whole city full of people and animals? Not knowing their right from their left seems to be a comment about their spiritual ignorance. These people are are evil and wicked, yes, (coughs) and God will ultimately bring justice to this world, but God also sees sinners and rebels as people who are lost, blind, enslaved, captive, and it breaks his heart. Verse 10, Jonah, you're concerned about this vine that you did not create or even care for. Verse 11, should I not be concerned for a whole city full of people that I did create and do care for? 
God gets glory when he judges justly. Justice is good. We know that ourselves, don't we? Justice is, is good. We like to see proper, appropriate justice. God gets glory when he judges justly, but God, gets, uh, God takes pleasure when he shows mercy and love. He's glorified that way too, but only one of those two ways uh, is, is pleasurable. God takes pleasure when he shows mercy and love. Jonah loved the vine because the vine gave him shade while he willfully sat outside all day in a huff against God. He could easily have stayed in the city of Nineveh. Uh, the way the Ninevites repented through his preaching, uh, Jonah could have been a hero to them. They'd have sat at his feet listening to whatever he had to say all day long. He's the man who warned them. He could have sat in the shade of the finest trees in the palace gardens. God's ambassador to Assyria. He was outside in the sun and the dust because of his sulk. Uh, he loved the vine that God provided for the shade it gave him. He did not love God. I don't know what, if that's why it says that he went east. He went out and sat east of the city. I didn't really think about this, uh, but uh, uh, east is often the direction of rebellion against God. Um, Adam and Eve go out to the east of the garden. They're, they're put out to the east. Um, uh, Babylon, the, the kind of quintessential caricature of evil and wickedness, is, is to the east of Israel and e the east of Jerusalem. East is the direction of rebellion. Anyway, he loved the vine that God provided. He, provided. he loved the shade that it gave him, but he didn't love God. And Jonah told Israel this story because it exposes the way that Israel loved the blessings that God gave them, but they didn't love God. They loved living in a brilliant country, flowing with milk and honey, all you could ever need, with God's great laws, making for a fantastic society to live in, and the privilege of knowing God himself, but they didn't love God. It's like Adam and Eve in the garden, enjoying living in the beautiful paradise, but they didn't love God. Uh, and like Jonah, Israel didn't want to share God's blessing. Israel, remember, was designed to show the world how good it is to belong to God, the one who made us all. And through Israel, the nations were to, to see and taste the blessings of God. Wow, what a great God that Israel has. But Israel didn't want to convey God's blessings to the whole world. Uh, they wanted to control God's blessing and contain God's blessing and keep God's blessing for themselves. But God loves all that he has made. And so uh, through Israel, he sent his own son, born an Israelite, born a, a Jew, uh, Jesus, who died to take away the sin of the world. Jesus, through whom all the nations are being blessed, as people from every tribe and nation and language come uh, to him to stand under the waterfall of God's love. Jonah 4, verse 11, God so loved Nineveh that he sent his prophet Jonah. Well, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you received God's flood of mercy and love in Jesus. 
Have you believed in Him, placed your trust in Him, set your life in His care? We're at the end of this book, and it ends on a cliffhanger, doesn't it? It ends with God's question hanging in the scorching desert air. And Jonah sitting in the dust, staring at the cities, thinking over what God has said. Does Jonah get it? Does Jonah understand? Does Jonah see God's way? Or not? And what about us? Do we get it? Do we see ourselves and our world God's way? This book is about God's people. It's about God's people seeing ourselves first and foremost as recipients of grace, as those who desperately needed God's grace, who deserve nothing good from him, who have no right to suggest that God shouldn't show that same grace to someone else as well. Let's praise him and let's thank him every day with humble hearts for all that he's done for tragic sinners like us. This book is about God's people. This book is also about God. It's not about Jonah discovering that God had compassion for sinners. He knew that from the start. He says so himself. He knew it from the beginning. Instead, it's about, it's about God's people, God's church, receiving his compassion ourselves and then sharing his compassion with anyone and everyone. Living lives of faithful witness loving to see the salvation of people whom we might consider enemies or who in our, our estimation deserve great judgment from God. If only God would just boom. No, how wonderful it would be. How glorious to see them come, trust in Jesus and join his people. We're meant to convey God's grace to the world, not control it, not contain it, not keep it for ourselves. It's not our job to control who gets to hear of God's grace. It's not our job to make sure that the people who get to hear and be invited to come are those sorts of people that we want to be church family with. Jonah refused at first to go to Nineveh with a message by which God would save them. To whom would we refuse to go? Now, I'll go there, but I will not go to those people. To whom would we refuse to go? Of course, if we could flick a switch and, and horrible people be saved, well, we would do it. We would flick that switch. Of course we would. Uh, but will we go and speak to them of Jesus? Because there's no switch. Romans 10, 14 says, How then can they call on the one uh, they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? If you're listening today and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, the book of Jonah says this to you. God loves all that he has made. He loves to, com to have compassion. He loves to show mercy. And you desperately need it. Won't you take it? Won't you listen to the message of Jesus and put your trust in him? God so loved Nineveh that he sent Jonah. Well, God so loved you 
that he sent Jesus. And if you're listening today and you are a follower of Jesus, the book of Jonah says this, won't you tell them? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Thank you that you are just and you are merciful. Thank you that you love all that you have made. We confess that we would be lost in our sin if it were not for your grace. Father, this is key, and we talk about it a lot, but help us to know it at the very core of our being. Help us to realize that our our whole lives and eternities depend on your love to us, sending Jesus to die our death in our place. And give us the burning desire to share that grace with any and all who will listen that you may save them as you saved us. And Almighty God, in the coming of your Son, you have poured on us the new light of your incarnate word and shown us the fullness of your love. Help us to walk in this light and dwell in this love that we may know the fullness of his joy who is alive and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.